They said it was forbidden. They said it was dangerous. They were right. Introducing the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual. Dive into the arcane, into the hidden corners of the occult. This isn't just a comic. It's a hidden tome of supernatural power. All original artwork illustrating the groundbreaking research of Juan Ayala, one of the only living homunculologists of our time. Learn how to summon your own homunculus, an enigma wrapped in the fabric of reality itself, their power at your fingertips, their existence, your secret. Explore the mysteries of the Aristotelian, the spiritual, the Paracelsian, the Crowleyan homunculus, ancient knowledge lost to time, now unearthed in this forbidden tale. This comic book holds truths not meant for the light of day, knowledge that was buried, feared, and shunned. Are you ready to uncover the hidden, the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual, not for the faint of heart, available now from Paranoid American. Get your copy at tjojp.com or paranoidamerican.com today. This is another episode of the Juan on Juan podcast. You know who I am. I'm going to start switching up the intros. I say the same shit over and over and over again a lot. So there it is. Today we are joined by Luke Williamson once more. You guys are probably going to get tired of hearing me and Luke talk about not the same thing, but ancient civilizations because I love it. I love it. On this episode, we recorded it, I believe, the 15th of March. So it is going to be regarding COVID-19, which I'm tired of talking about. Hopefully this doesn't come out three months from now and we're still talking about the coronavirus. That would be lame. But we talked about it. We talked about it. We talked about the mass hysteria aspect of it. We talked about simulation hypothesis. We talked about the pharmaceutical industry because we both have experience with it as far as having family members who are medication dependent, if you would say. We talk about law of attraction, mind over matter. We talk about frequencies, sound healing, ancient medicine, what the Egyptians use for healing and, and their depictions of health as far as that goes a little bit. We, we got a little bit into that and then a little bit into ancient religions uh, towards the end. But once again... Welcome to the show. This is Sound Monoliths and the Egyptians with Luke Williamson. All right, we're live, Luke. Uh, welcome back to the show. And we were just talking about, I wanted to get your input. Today is March 15, 2020. And obviously, this craziness going on in the world. I, for some reason, was able to secure some toilet paper on Amazon. I wasn't part of the panic buying. I got in just before everybody started talking about it and it started becoming a thing. 
and I got a bunch of toilet paper delivered just in case. I don't I don't know what it was. I just ordered some. Yeah, uh, I've been ordering supplies and, and everything, you know. Yeah, you 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 played you played that well. Um, Order on I, Amazon. I usually I usually do it. You know, every couple months I go to Costco and get paper towels, toilet paper, soap, stuff like that. But uh, I was not really super prepared for the run on on toilet paper and so yeah like a week ago i realized hmm, yeah i'm actually you know running low and like there's nothing in the stores and i had to go online and it took me like almost a half hour to find some toilet paper <laughs> it still hasn't arrived well like, they I, even have I, it right yeah no most most stuff sold out this stuff wasn't sold out but there's no like prime delivery or anything so assuming it doesn't get hijacked by you know, people in desperate need of toilet paper. So, yeah. what do you think? How are how are things going on over there right now? I've, I've I saw California, uh, no more bars, no more restaurants. Ohio as well. I have a buddy of mine in Ohio, no more uh, restaurants or anything of that sort. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, you know, they're doing they're doing what they can now. I think, you know, on the whole, we were late. Uh, I think that has to do with certain someone getting rid of the CDC's pandemic response team a couple years ago and not bothering to fucking replace it. But anyway, yeah. so we're a little behind, we're a little behind the game. Uh, but yeah, I, honestly, I don't. I think well, like I have friends in Boston who are teachers, and you know their schools are shut down till April 27th. Out here, they're just doing like early April or something. But I imagine that's going to extend. But from what I understand, tomorrow is the day. I've got a, a friend who's a doctor, and apparently tomorrow is the day they're going to be making a lot of announcements about, um, you know, Walgreens and Walmart's going to have testing centers and you know all this stuff. But, you know what made me think about that? Because we have some of those local here. I saw. What if they're actually just secretly infecting you there yeah. with the virus if you go get checked? You know what I mean? You know, there's enough weird stuff. In in fact, and I'm not a total anti-vaxxer. I'm just uh, oh, we talked about this and, before. Yeah, right? I'm just curious and, and cautious about it. I I think there's a lot of horrible stuff in there. I'd really rather not put in my body unless I absolutely needed to. Um, unless it's DMT, then we don't support it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, but just the vaccine-wise, I mean, why am I, you know, inject? I don't like the idea of injecting like other animal viruses into my body and uh you know human fetus uh material and stuff into my body i'm not really comfortable with that i understand sometimes that's what these things have to be made of but it's just kind of a weird thing and i just i feel like in the 70s and 80s it was rational there were like a certain amount of shots everybody got wasn't it? now it's like you we talked about this kids are getting hundreds of shots before they're like mm -hmm. something and it's like it's mental yeah, it really is. And I don't, uh, what What do you think? I mean, I don't like to, and we never really got into this. Are Are, are you, where do you stand on, on the whole religion thing? And, and as far as what's, what this is that we're living, you know, the world and humanity, where do you stand as far as religion? Um, well, I'm very clearly in the, in the group that Although I, I have some feelings and ideas, I'm really aware that I don't know anything. But um, I'm pretty sure that uh, at the risk of upsetting, you know, because you know, religion is is a is a tool not only 
you know, from the controlling end, but also from, you know, from the, the populist end, uh, people need something. You know, they need reassurance. They need mm-hmm. to connect to something that is uh, reassuring. And I think, you know, religion serves that that purpose in a way. My personal feeling and understanding of it is that, um, you know, there is a source from which all things come and all those things are actually just one thing. And, uh, you know, if you want to call it God, uh, that's fine. But I, I, there's for me, there isn't, you know, a, a conscious being sitting somewhere going, I will do something. I will put a miracle in Juan's world today. So I don't think I think you can create that for yourself, but I don't think that's, you know, the the actual reality of it. That's pretty yeah. much where I stand. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I like the simulation theory because of the law of attraction. I feel that because a lot of people, oh, simulation, it's a computer. No, it's not. It's not that. It's when you speak, you have power. And maybe perhaps we spoke this into existence because, you know, it was a lot of a lot of years where everybody was, oh, we need a we need a plague. We need to thin the herd. Yeah. And I think that we manifested it because now it's we have this. Everybody's freaking out. And this is why the government doesn't want us to know we do have alien technology because everybody's buying paper, uh, the toilet paper. Imagine if we if they knew about alien technology, how they would react with that. That's oh, exactly yeah. why. This is why, they, you know, this is one of the reasons they can't tell anybody because, you know, it's this... This is the, I think it's the problem with, with humans is that we haven't, and this is what the church, when the church is really cracking down, you know, in the 11th, 12th century and stuff, uh, this is one of the things they were really pushing for. It's the, we, we have to find a way to conquer our base animal instincts. And, you know, that's, we just haven't been able to do it. You know, we have that, you know, fight or flight you know, fight, fuck, feed, flight, you know, what it's, the, those are the things that, you know, we, and uh, it's this kind of uh, basic attachment to the need to survive that is so harshly encoded into our systems that, but you know what else, uh, talking about religion and stuff, one, I, I think that we're also um, sort of encoded with, um with like a, a worship, a need to worship something. Like People there who is, pray live longer. It's been it's been proved. People who meditate. I, I think live longer. I think though there is there is a need, but like part of what religion is is you know we not knowing is so frightening, and the fear of the unknown is so frightening mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. you know we. I think in a way it's you know why demagogues and stuff become, but we want somebody who or something that knows and can just lay that truth down and we can worship it and mindlessly just not worry about anything and just you know there's something in in the human makeup that is is designed to worship in some way. It's kind of interesting. Well, just how they say that fear is passed down genetically. I believe that this is something that's passed down genetically. I, I do believe. And it's interesting that we're talking about the fight or flight, right? Ma- we're mammals. And mammals stampede. And mammals will stampede 
And obviously there's been people who have been killed and, and people stampeding. But there are herds of animals that will literally, from being freaked out, kill themselves. Yeah, lemmings. That's so wild, right? Yeah, that's are, so that's so crazy, and that's like how we are right now. We literally go to the point that we would kill ourselves because of the hysteria, the mass hysteria, and we can't even control it. Why? Because we're animals. We're this barbaric uh, side of of the person, of the human, is coming out in in times like this. And I don't believe we've really encountered something like this in our, in, our, in modern times. I don't I don't believe. I mean, when was the last time there was something really very big? What nine eleven? Yeah, I mean, you know, we have uh, SARS and, and you know, swine flu and whatever coming through. But really, it's been like, I mean, this is kind of, it's not smallpox level yet, but it, it could be, could become something like that. It just depends. I, I'm i not convinced that this isn't something that, uh, I think it's a possibility that we need to consider that this is something that got out of a lab, that they're monitoring, that they actually know you know what to do about it, but they just kind of want to see on a you know, on a global level what kind of happens. I don't know. I mean, it's 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 a bit crazy, but does that possibility exist? Yeah, it exists. I've been thinking because we don't even know it. If, let's say it is a bioweapon. We don't even know what happens in the fourth and fifth stage of it. What if they're burning bodies because people come back to life as zombies? Can you imagine that? That'd How crazy pretty, that would be? Be pretty entertaining. I mean, I I think the fact now that they're just realizing that people who they think are cured and have been released back into the populace are now coming down with it again. Uh, yeah, you can get reinfected. This is, this is kind of a problem and something that we hadn't anticipated. So all of those people that were quarantined and then released, you know, I mean, we, it's, it's very difficult to, uh, to, to get on top of something when you don't know what it does. Cause you, you just, you naturally make assumptions that it's like something that's come before. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, here, here we are. It's, it's got the makeup of HIV. And, you know, it's scary. And like you said, people are getting reinfected. And what's very alarming to me, I don't really care about the virus itself. I care about people. And my problem with all this is right now there was the first baby that tested positive for coronavirus in London. And what happens when mosquitoes start coming out and obviously malaria spread through mosquitoes and when a mosquito bites you it takes a little bit of your blood and injects it to the other person and and, you know vice versa what happens then is that going to be a thing that can be spread through pets or pets and animals can get it too yeah i don't know how you know at the moment it's it's an airborne thing right uh, partially airborne and also it lives on surfaces for a certain amount of time it's not something as far as i know that is you know uh, we don't know through the blood but we don't know but this <laughs> yeah so like if it is sure mosquitoes will add to that but i mean that's something you know west nile virus uh, all of that stuff is uh, transmit yellow fever whatever it's all transmitted by mosquito and like you know we can we can deal with it and this Zika one, too, right? Zika was one of them that that was really big too. That could be spread by mosquitoes as well. Well, yeah, if you believe believe what they're telling you, I have a feeling that it well, that had something to do with something else in the water down there. But I, I, I don't, I don't, and that's the thing, Luke, that we don't know 
where yeah. it's so funny that you see it now, right? You see the, the if you go on social media, you'll see the division between two people, and then it's like, right. damned if you do, damned if you don't, because if you listen to the media, oh, you're a puppet, and then if you don't listen to the media, oh, you're you're uh, misinformed. And then I saw some guy commented on some other guy's post, and he was like, oh, mainstream news much? It's like, what is the what is mainstream yeah. now? If everybody's talking about the same well, thing. We, it's the problem. It's the same problem. Like you go back to the 70s, you know, when the government lied to everybody about 60s and 70s about marijuana being dangerous. It was the killer <laughs> drug. You were going to smoke a joint and murder your whole family, all yeah. that kind of stuff. Well, mushrooms too. They and, and then, you know, because they told a bunch of lies about that because it was on their agenda, then and we knew it wasn't true. Then, you know, when cocaine and stuff came along and the government was like, this is dangerous and addictive and bad for you and you're going to do, you know, crazy shit, we didn't believe them. And so, you know, that's – and they, you know, they were right about that stuff. And so I look at this stuff um, and I, I know that the government is often full of shit or at least has an angle that it's trying to – you know, and all governments do it. It's not just ours. All governments do this shit. And then I also know there's – batshit crazy people out there who are just sure or making stuff up or or whatever but like i, I look at the wuhan thing and I, you start reading these crazy stories about this nano stuff that they're putting in there and you know this makes you susceptible to whatever they're putting in the 5g and they can control you they can turn you on and turn you off and all this kind of stuff and like i look at that as being crazy it's not too far-fetched though you know and, and i maybe it isn't and then but do you know them putting stuff in in vaccines which you know gives people diseases and they know it's in there and they they're not taking it out or they're leaving it in there for whatever reason i i find that kind of believable because i you know i know that they don't really give a shit about any of this i mean it's just how it is so i don't well, know well we we've talked about this before because obviously you've your father passed away uh due to cancer and i know how you feel you have some feelings towards the pharmaceutical industry i as well do because my father has ms and i've i've been talking about this recently what how much of it do you believe is mental how much of it do you think it's placebo and then how much of it do you think it's actually something because again the mind is a is the mind is a powerful thing so if you tell somebody they have something, because even they tell you they don't know about it, right? When they when they diagnose my father, they told him, "Hey, we're like 85% sure you have MS." Right. And it's like, what? Like, if you don't even know, and then it's like, "Oh, how do you get it? We don't know." Well, what does it do? Oh, we're not entirely sure it affects everybody differently. Well, how are you able to diagnose it? Well, we don't know 100%. Well, what what's what treatments are there? Oh, there is, you know, there's no cure because we don't know anything about it. Uh, here is a shot that costs you $40,000 a month for a 30-day supply. And here you go. You have this for the rest of your life. Just absolutely fuck that. It's it's a nightmare. It's a, just a nightmare. And, you know, you, you get these uh, diseases or issues and, you know, the treatment, it's just whether the treatment's going to kill you before it The treatment's kills. worse than the, than the, yeah. than the yeah. disease. I mean, you it's saw terrific. that firsthand. Yeah. Yeah, we all we all know this. Like so many of us have seen it happen, and some of us have been through it, you know, in person, like and recovered from it. You know, I had a cousin who had uh, in her teens, she had uh, 
non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and recovered from that and then got Hodgkin's and recovered from that. And, but it, it really damaged her heart, the radiation that they had to do damaged her heart and she died very young or a lot younger than she would have because of that. But she yeah. had to live in a bubble. You know, no one, because she had no immune system. She was one of those, oh. you know, people. In the, and I just think about the people that go through that. And I remember my, when my dad was going through it, he's like, if you know, when I survive, uh, he's like, I'm going to do a lot for kids who have this. Because it's one thing to get it at the end of your life. But to, like, get this at the beginning of your life, it's just, uh, it's really shitty. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah, is. I, I but mean, it's a we, business, right? We yeah. talked about religion being a business. It's a business as well. We really need to, to look again at sound uh, for for healing properties. There was a guy called Royal Rife in the 30s and 40s, and he had this quite brilliant idea about how, uh, you know, we as, as organisms, obviously we vibrate, um, and that everything vibrates, uh, viruses, bacteria, everything has like a, a vibration. A frequency. Yeah, yeah, and everything has like a, a frequency where it can exist, and a frequency where it's not healthy for that to exist. And when you get ill is when like your frequency, your healthy frequency lowers enough to, or becomes too high or whatever, uh, that it matches up with where one of these other things can live. And, uh, you know, he started, he created a machine. And actually in the late seventies, um, early eighties, a university did a study on this and they found that not only was it true, but like your individual organs each vibrated like different frequencies so if there was a way to um you know return your body to its natural frequency its healthy frequency then these other things would not be able to live inside you and you would just be cured just from that you wouldn't need any of this this stuff and he they destroyed him for that uh but as they the, always do yeah in the 80s uh I think it was the University of Wisconsin. I can't. I can't remember. Um, yeah, they discovered that he was actually on the right track. We've got a guy who's actually a professor of music who's been working at Harvard University. They've got like frequencies which destroy cancer cells, like on an individual level. But they theoretically, that was a couple of years ago. Theoretically, they could turn that into something that would work on more than like a singular cellular level. Like there's all kinds of stuff that we could really do with sound if we understood it better but you know i was watching a uh, episode one of, of bill nye you know on, <laughs> on like an hbo and the first like i think it was literally it was the first or second episode was on sound and they were like let's talk about sound healing and i'm like holy cow you know that, that somebody's actually willing to talk about it so what they did was they sent somebody to this weirdo in the bay area who like screams at people because that sound is going to heal them, right? And that was there. And then they all just laughed at how, like, sound couldn't really heal anybody. And then the one guy on the panel who had already discredited himself because he'd admitted to eating mushrooms. So they were all like, oh, the mushroom-eating guy. He was like, um, if sound is no good in healing, then why do we use ultrasound? And one person on the panel goes, ultrasound, you can't even hear that. And everybody else on the panel laughed, and they moved on. And I just I haven't watched another Bill Nye since because – yeah. what is that what kind of you know all that is is a is a hit job there's you know there's nothing else to be said about that there's no exploration of, of sound frequencies and you know vibrational capabilities well they they use well ultrasonic cleaners right to clean things 
and it's just frequencies and we talk about 5g right that at a molecular level that 40 to 60 hertz range it does things to molecules it does things to the biology and they may say that they don't test it but i'm sure they do and they're pumping this into the air and i've always wondered does it dissipate where does it go does it stop somewhere do we absorb it because we can only see 0.0025 of the light spectrum. Imagine, you know, what's going on around us now that we can't even begin to see at all. It's probably what not only starts it, but probably like cooks that that primordial stew, heats it all up as, you know, vibration and frequency. They tell you not to stand in front of your microwave, right? Yeah. Why? Because it'll mess you up? It'll give you cancer or something? God only knows. I think pretty much everything gives you cancer these days it seems because that's what that's what what a microwave is it's just it's heating up the water molecules within the food or whatever it is and essentially just heating it up so imagine if that's what that is doing to us and can we talk to you are you familiar with for well let's use the egyptians do they depict any of the medicine that they use because obviously back then a lot of things were seen they actually wrote a lot of stuff or carved stuff, and then on papyrus they, they wrote stuff down. The Egyptians did a lot of, uh, of cool stuff, but one of my favorites is they used to, um, when people had wounds or cuts, uh, stuff, they would rub moldy bread on it. And uh, they didn't know why like rubbing moldy bread on wounds worked, but they knew it worked somehow they figured that out and that's just penicillin i mean that's just basic penicillin like rubbing you know mold bread mold into your your wounds so they did a lot of stuff they had uh, like pregnancy tests for uh, women where uh, you would pee on i think it was either wheat or barley and um how the seeds grew or something would or something whatever happened to it would indicate whether you were pregnant or not and that worked like 85 percent of the time it was, it was what accurate. the heck that's wild yeah i mean they had a lot of they had a lot of stuff but they also had um according to hakim abdel Alyan, who was an indigenous wisdom keeper uh passing down like uh the Sufi knowledge he uh he said that the one of the buildings at saqqara was a, a sound he called it the sound hospital had a lot of alcoves and some central tables these alcoves are like sectioned off in little areas mostly destroyed now but according to him the patient would lie on the tables and the doctor would go into the alcove and put his head in the alcoves and then um, adjust like sound frequency however they were generating sound to to fix the patient and he was he was talking about this stuff in the you know the 70s and 80s um anyway i i went there uh, i've been there a few times but i went and i actually walked into those alcoves and uh put my head in them and you can hear running water it's uh it's really interesting like you can hear uh stuff in there um it's it's pretty interesting there's only one of the tables remaining so they talk about that stuff too and you know if you look on youtube nowadays you can see well cymatics is really interesting to get into but you can you can see that we can move uh objects now with sound they're starting to get bigger you can put out fire with sound like this just an enormous amount of things you can do with sound the government has definitely weaponized sound uh there's all kinds of frequencies that will either turn your insides to to you know uh, gelatin or 
you know, high pitch frequencies that could just immobilize you through you know, terrible sound, whatever. There's all kinds of stuff like that. There's the applications of sound, both good and bad, are potentially, you know, almost endless. Yeah, I've been pushing that that idea that you told me of the is it the box in the king's chamber in the Great Pyramid? Yeah. I've been I've been really pushing that idea of that they would achieve a frequency and when once they achieved that frequency I I believe they were really able to go somewhere cuz that's so that is so so fascinating right why would what that's such a wild place why would it just be just one box what else do you think was in there look and what and what did they use back then to light up these places in those times what do you believe or, or what they use well, torches you know, or something yeah i mean that's the obvious uh story that they they tell you is that they use you know torches and then so some places have a lot of soot on the ceilings uh, and places and, and some places like the serapeum and, and other places don't and so i looked into that it is possible they were using olive oil which doesn't use soot but mm. the issue that you get into especially in places like the serapeum and some of the pyramids especially if you're doing something in there that's labor intensive is that there's not a whole lot of oxygen in there, especially back then when they couldn't pump any oxygen in there, at least as far as we know, and you're burning the oxygen with these things that you have in there. So if you have a lot of people in there, that also gets difficult. And so some people suggest, Oh, they did it. Like you sometimes see in the movies, they, they reflected light on mirrors, you know, inside. And, you know, the problem with that is that, the ancient Egyptians didn't actually have mirrors. They had like polished bronze or silver that they would use, which is, it's reflective, but it's nowhere near like miller, mirror quality. And even mirror quality doesn't work that well for this. And what you find is once you get past like, you know, you can, the sun would have to pretty much be directly overhead. And then you would have to reflect that light off the first mirror, quote unquote, uh, into whatever tunnel and then a second mirror at another angle to direct that down the next alley and or you know and then another one and if it curves and then by the time really you get to the second one the light is you've lost so much light already like you, there's no point in even having a third one who did that what there was there an ancient civilization that did that that's one of the theories for how they they lit the oh that's stuff. one of the theories yeah, and it just doesn't doesn't work very well so Either they had uh, another another way of doing it, or or they had found an oil that uh, didn't leave soot, or you know, who knows? Maybe they had some kind of if they understood, you know, if they were actually harvesting energy, and that's what they were doing. Uh, <laughs> a lot of people, there's these really interesting things that they call mirrors, actually, in uh, like handheld uh, mirrors that they and they usually find this with. They say they're mirrors because they they find them sometimes with you know brushes and other things uh, in burials, uh, but it's a wooden handle with um, you know uh, like almost like a an oval or onk shaped uh, metal top, and they say that held in there was you know some something to make a mirror. But I also saw somebody else point out that one of those things you could take it and touch it to something that held an electrical charge and it would take that electrical charge and then you could touch it, move it, touch it to something else and it would transfer that electrical charge to something else. 
So like there's a lot of these objects that could actually be something else and be misidentified. I know I told you I wanted to talk about South America, ancient South America, but I just I love the Egyptians so much because what do you think? Because Tesla, Tesla was fascinated with the pyramids and you talked about the Ankh. The Ankh is a symbol used in Egypt a lot. What does it signify? Do you do you know? Yeah, it's um, I mean, as as hieroglyphs work, uh, you know, there there are multiple meanings, but it's generally uh, meant uh, to symbolize like eternal life. Eternal life. Do you believe that maybe? Because I know Tesla made this. It was like this generator like this this electric conductor or something and it was in the shape of an onk it does look onk shaped yeah you saw that you know what i'm yeah, talking about right i know i know what you're talking about what, yeah. maybe and if you if, if you look at the depictions of the the netters a lot of the netters you know they're holding an onk mm-hmm. you know it's it's like a tool there it's like the same thing when you go to india and you see that the god of measurements is holding a um like a, a cog with, uh, you know, 16, an interlocking cog with 16 uh, you know, nubs on it. So, you know, this is stuff that, that you know, oh, it, it represents a calendar or something, but like actually also could be you know, a, a device, a real device used for things. Yeah, because, again, do, you, do they find those like in bronze or something like that? Have they ever found some of those in, in bronze or a different metal or something? They found, um, I don't think they have in India, but they found, you know, what they call the Antikythera device, which is uh, an interlocking uh, bronze, uh, some kind of measurement tool with a whole lot of cogs and, you know, wheels. In Egypt? That was in Egypt? No, they found it on the bottom of the Mediterranean, and they they assume it's Greek, but they don't really know. What's it called? How do you uh, how do you spell it? The Antikythera device. I think it's A N T I K Y T H E R A. Mechanism. Yeah. Oh, I think I've. Oh yes, yes, I've seen that. I saw. Uh, I think I saw it on a documentary. It was like these weird-looking gears and. Yeah, and they don't. They don't know. It was found on a boat in the Mediterranean, you know, shipwreck in the Mediterranean that uh, was a presumably Greek shipwreck. But, you know, does that mean everything on it is? greek and it was made at that time no <laughs> so what who were the egyptians which dynasty if you if, if that's what they're called and correct me if i'm wrong were the ones that were able to because some of the sarcophagus is that they are sarcophagi i don't know how what the plural pronunciation is very they're very talented and obviously they did uh megalithic stone work and if if you believe that they did, and but they also did very intricate work. I've seen some of the sarcophagus that they that they restore, and it looks beautiful. They 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 do beautiful work, yeah. and they did beautiful work. Well, that, which the, dynasty was that? Well, the magical dynasty that seemed to be able to achieve things that no other dynasty was ever able. Is that the one to that match. we don't know who it is? Yeah, it's that's what what. <laughs> 
we call the fourth dynasty, but in my opinion is left over from the time before. And we've just shoehorned that into the fourth dynasty and made our history fit around that. But in, in terms of like, first of all, as far as, uh, Standard Egyptology will tell you that there was no sarcophagus, there was no plan for a sarcophagus before the Third Dynasty, and that's when the sarcophagus really started to come into play, and then the shape of it pretty much solidified into a, a, a standard box by the Fourth Dynasty, and then that's what they had from then Is on. Is that Snefru? Is that how you say that? Sne- yeah, uh, it depends on whether you think it's an O or an E. Some people say Snofru, some people say Snefru, some people say Senefru or Sneferu. Like it depends where you want to, because the Egyptians didn't use vowels. So there's always like eight different. Well, he kind of looks like the like the Sphinx. Was he the he one was, that was trying to make it look like him or they say that he was the one that constructed it? He was the he was the first uh, major pyramid builder, according to. Egyptology as, as they believe our history stands today. He was the guy who uh, built a pyramid, the first kind of attempt to build theoretically a true pyramid at uh, my doom, where it was actually like a step pyramid underneath. And then they built on top of the step pyramid to make it seem like it actually had, you know, it was a true pyramid and all of that stuff kind of collapsed and came off and only the core is really still the core and, and rubble around it. And then supposedly his second pyramid was uh, the Bent Pyramid, which halfway through, supposedly they realized that it wasn't going to be able to hold together. So they changed the angle on it. And then after that, he built the Red Pyramid like a mile away. And it's just the whole thing is crazy. You know, his name, you know, Nefer means beautiful, but it also means a whole lot of other things and that name can be translated to mean twice harmonic or double harmonic um and then the bent pyramid is a very acoustically noisy pyramid until they filled a bunch of the shafts it used to used to sing when they were excavating it uh ahmed fakhri the archaeologist talked about how they used to get freaked out in there because drafts wind would come from they didn't know where they hadn't even discovered like the western shaft yet and it was like uh, it was like a large like flute or something uh that the wind would come through and make these sounds that would come out and so all of these structures to me are either incidentally or um meaningfully uh, acoustic and it's just whether we want to investigate that and put time into it and you know when we look at because we believe the herodotus timeline we've sort of shoehorned everything into herodotus but if you actually look at Manetho's timeline who was actually a high priest at heliopolis and had actually unlike herodotus had access to all of the high priesthoods written history and secrets uh, Manetho pushes you know the the timeline for egypt back a lot further and the fourth dynasty that era that whole time actually goes back to like I don't know, 12 or 15,000 BC. And the Middle Kingdom is actually much longer than we think it is. And then the New Kingdom actually stays about where we have it now. But as far as some of the stone, some of my favorite stuff is actually Middle Kingdom. The Middle Kingdom made some really beautiful sarcophagi and you know, really, really incredible stuff. They still had great stone carving skills. They just were yeah. the megalithic building masters that we saw in that supposed fourth 
fourth dynasty. But the other thing we also have to look at is that some of those boxes, a lot of those boxes are dated as Middle Kingdom, but it, they're dated by the writing that is on them. And you cannot date an object by the writing on it. You can say it's at least that old, but you can't say they built it because they wrote on it. That, to me, is really sloppy science, but they do that uh, in Egyptology a lot to try to confirm the current timeline and fit everything in. And people don't pay any attention. They just, you know, they, they're either learning to pass a test or, or get a degree or they're you know, listening to somebody in a museum. They don't really think about that stuff. But, you know, there's a ton of stuff that is dated by what's written on it. And that's just a really bad way to go. Well, they associate it with the person that they, like how you've mentioned before, oh, we found three uh, three statues of this guy, so this guy built it. One yeah. statue of the other guy, so he repaired it. He repaired it, and that, and then that goes into the history. And so a lot of the history that you actually read is not fact; it's a conclusion. And what they do is they leave out uh, the thought process that they use to reach that conclusion, unless you really look for it. They present the conclusions, but not the process that led to the the conclusion. And in Egyptology. Uh, what you find very often is that that process that led to the conclusion is fucking nuts. Yeah. And, and that's like, it's not like I, I'm sitting here just wanting to poke, you know, a pin into the, the balloon of every Egyptologist. Cause a lot of these guys are aware of that stuff. You know, they know that stuff, uh, but they also don't want to rock the boat. So, you know, that's, that's their bread and butter. And it's very easy to lose your livelihood there by swimming against the stream. So, obviously, the Egyptians, if you want to believe the narrative, were the ones that built all these different obelisks and structures. But something I've been thinking as of recently, thinking about, what do you feel the purpose? Obviously, I don't know if it was symbolic or literal. The purpose of these obelisks, because... For example, you have the obelisk at Aswan Kuru that we've talked about before being one of the largest known ones, and obviously it was never finished. But what do you feel they use these things for? Because what strikes me as, as interesting is that they're all over the world, in different parts of the world, not Egyptian, but all these well, different actually, places a lot of, have obelisks. A lot of them are. A lot of the obelisks well, that are yeah. all over the world. Like actually. the one at the Vatican, right? The one at the Vatican yeah. is, is Egyptian? Italy has, there's, there's one in... Uh, um, I think it's New York. There's, uh, there's one in London. Uh, there's some in, in France. I mean, they're, they're they're literally all over all over the world. But I mean, the interesting thing is they're always made out of granite. Uh, I I I can't offhand think of one of those obelisks that's not made of granite that I've seen anyway. And uh, granite's got a really high quartz content. Of course, if you you know, know anything about computers and radios and all this kind of like our wireless transmission and our memory storage. Of course, all of that is possible because of quartz crystal. And then we were able to make, produce like silicate, silicate quartz, fake, fake quartz to, you know, so we didn't have to just relentlessly mine it and use it. But like none of that is possible without quartz. So you have these massive obelisks that would have been usually uh, topped with usually a, a mixture of gold and silver that they call electrum. And, uh, you know, what are they doing? Are they, are they harvesting electricity from the atmosphere uh, through either lightning or, uh, you know, 
weather change or just naturally harvesting energy that way. Um, I had an experience, and, you know, and it could just be totally uh, unconnected and random event. But I was at Abu Jurab at the Sun Tem- Temple there, which had a huge obelisk on the top of it, one of the largest obelisks ever. It's no longer, you know, it's crumbled. But uh, that was a pyramid with a flat top with a massive obelisk on top of it, really massive obelisk. And in front of that is what they call the Rahotep, which is like a four cardinal direction, uh, what they refer to as an offering table, which is a, it's a square with a circle in the middle, and it's got four heads, one facing each direction. And those, by the way, look like lingams. It's like a Shiva lingam, but it's not standing up. They're lying down. And I like there's a lot of those old school, old dynasty Hotep so-called offering tables that are, are – to me, they're identical to a Shiva lingam. They're just not standing up. They're they're lying they're lying down. Depiction of exactly the same same thing. But anyway, um, that when you sit on that hotep, and it sounds crazy, but like when you sit on that thing and you put your hands on it, and if you take your socks and shoes off, you can literally feel an, an, an energy change. Like I love sitting on that thing because it's what it's where, what's it called, Luke? So oh. I can look it up. It's called the Rahotep, like R-A, new word, H-O-T-E-P. And it's at Abu Jarab in, uh, in Egypt. I've got a couple videos on it you can see um, on YouTube. But if Rahotep you, what? It's at Abu Jarab, but it should, if you put that in, it should come up. Uh, uh, you said Rahotep what after that? It came up Prince Rahotep for some reason. Okay. Um, put in A-B-U, new word. G H O R A B. Uh huh. And then that should bring up like a. Stargate. <laughs> uh, it probably does say something like that because this site is so energetically weird. And that thing, that hotep in front, like, I don't know what that is, but I don't think it's an offering table. Uh, uh, but if you, if you look at that thing, uh, so it points. Is in, that where the bulls are at? Yeah, it's the same site. Oh, it's, it's that, that big. The square thing in the middle, they don't, even, they don't even know what that's for. Yeah, well, some people, it's a shaft that's got water at the bottom. It's, like, again, like a 28 or 30-meter shaft that's got water at the bottom. But it's it's squared, but it's got a circle in the middle. And it's just really intensely energetic. Anyway, I sat on that thing with a couple of friends uh, in the evening, um, 2018, before my tour arrived, like a couple of days before the tour arrived. And... Uh, one of my friends had bought a, brought a, a singing bowl, and she just played that singing bowl for about 15 minutes on top of that, and then there was lightning, and then it rained. What? And like Egypt, it rains like like twice a year. So maybe Cairo it rains like a couple of days a year. So maybe that was just one of the days it was going to rain in Cairo, or maybe we sat on that thing and played like a singing bowl and you know the lightning started and then it rained. Like I don't know, like if if there's something about those sites that you can activate with sound that then, you know, increases energy or harvests energy, there's all kinds of like we just don't ever think about any of that stuff because it I don't know, maybe it seems crazy, but um, but you know when you I didn't really explain this stuff to you, but like when you look at sites like Abu Jarab and Abu Sir and uh, the Old Valley Temple or the Sphinx Temple uh, and the really old like Fourth Dynasty megalithic stuff, what you find a lot is that there's a center core wall that's made of limestone, which, by the way, transmits an electromagnetic current very well. And then that wall is usually encased 
by either basalt or granite, neither of which conduct electromagnetic energy very well. Granite, almost not at all, and basalt just a little bit. But like the walls on either side of that limestone wall are usually like a foot thick minimum of granite, sometimes as much as like two or three feet of granite on either side of that. So it's almost like you've got a pyramid with a limestone core uh, and then limestone walls that are then shielded, you know, like Menkaure's pyramid and the second pyramid and at Avarouache, that are then shielded with this red granite, or at least partially with the red granite, a certain way up. And then, uh, you know, do they have that electrum tip on the top? And then there's a way that, they can either attract the lightning or they wait for the storms and then, you know, the lightning hits the tip and it transfers through that limestone core of the pyramid and this transmits energy. But the people standing around it are OK because they've got like a couple of feet of red granite. But somehow this is being harvested, right? This electricity or it's something's happening that they're using this to to generate something, you know. I, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but like I, I look at that stuff and I'm like, Yusuf, why why would you build a wall out of limestone that's like a couple feet thick and would last thousands of years? And then from a thousand kilometers away, you're going to bring massive amounts of granite. And if you're just doing it like to make it look nice, then surely you only need a couple of inches of granite or six inches of granite. Like, why do you need feet of granite on either side of this? I mean, it, you know, there's something going on. That site, too, uh, Abu Sir, uh, same as, uh, like, Winnesis Pyramid and all the stuff there at Saqqara, a lot of those have underfloor uh, pipe systems. So there's water running underneath, like, the entire system. So the entire site. So, you know, what are they what are they actually doing there? Like I don't, cooling it down, maybe, or something? Yeah, or, or energizing the, the water or... You know, I don't, I don't even know what they're, what they're doing, but I, I'm pretty sure they're not just going through all this to build like, yeah, a, a tomb for one person or a thing for, you know, I don't know. It's, that's that's why it's interesting, right? Because, you know, back to the obelisk thing, I've heard, and I've researched where it's like this phallic symbol of like divine. Uh, you know, linking, you know, sexual and divine creation. Right. Something like that, right? Like, because it's like you say, why build all these things? And the reason I brought it up is because I, I was seeing pictures of the Washington Monument, and that's right. a big obelisk. Right. Yeah. And it's like, why would they, why would they build that? Is it a symbolic thing or, and it, it they're all over the world. I think, you know, Washington was clearly built by Masons. And if you look at where things are, it all fits like a, a geometric pattern. Like that where, stuff was all laid out. Where? On, in Washington, you mean? Yeah. Washington, D.C.? Yeah. Really? I haven't looked into that. Yeah, I think if, if you know, I, I don't, I'm not a huge Mason uh, guy, but I've, I've seen some things and read some things that show like they've got the the design superimposed over a map and you know, where the obelisks yeah. are, and, huh. and, you know, where the White House is and where such and such is. And, 
you know, Interesting. It's, it's, it's kind of a geometric grid, like somebody actually had a plan. Well, almost like the Egyptians laying everything out the way they did, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It was all planned. And and it, I, I had sent you a message when I was listening to that one guy, the Stargate guy. Was it William William Henry? Is that his name? I don't remember his name, but it's it's because the site that you're telling me about the uh, the Abu Abu Ghraib is that how you say it? Yeah, or Abu Ghraib. Being yeah, being a a Stargate of some sort. <laughs> well, look, I I mean I've I had a dream about that place, um, and I I mean it doesn't doesn't mean anything, but uh, after I went. I think they're the second time, and I took, again, my socks and shoes off, and I, I sat on that, and I just absorbed all as much energy as I could. And then that night, back in my hotel room, I had a dream, a lucid dream, where I knew I was dreaming, and I could see my body. I was, like, lying curled up in the fetal position on top of the Ra Hotep, and I was, like, going in and out of my, Like, I was looking at my body. I was in my body. I was looking at my body. I was in my body. I was like, this is a really interesting dream. And then I stood up on the Rahotep and um, I could see all around it in like, you know, two thirds of a circle. There were just these uh, like shimmering doorways that had like a kind of like a some kind of gossamer type veil like in. So you could see what was behind it, but just not super clearly. But I had the feeling like I could just step through any one of those and be in that place. It was a really cool dream. It doesn't mean anything, but like I had never had a thought or an awareness that, you know, people were calling that the site of the Stargate. What what ended up happening to the Egyptians? They, they were eventually conquered by the Romans or? Uh, no, they were. Well, if you go through the history, it's uh, there. What is the mainstream? They they were. You know they were really very powerful for a long time, but there were uh, there were parts where they were. Um, There's a time where they were invaded by the Hyksos, and nobody can even really agree who the Hyksos were. Uh, but the Hyksos ruled. For, what country is that? We don't know. Like we honestly don't know. There's people who think they were. How the hell did they name them? What the heck? Because there's writings, but like the I'm not sure the ancient Egyptians knew exactly where. Oh. The Hyksos were a people of diverse origins, possibly from Western Asia, yeah. so who settled a, in the eastern now delta. Huh. So they, there's a thought that they were – some people say they were from Asia. Some people say they were the people that were referred to as the sea people. There's a lot of art. So they were conquered by the Hyksos for a while. Then uh, much later on, after the decline of – you know, the general decline of the civilization, there's, there's a – a Greek and Roman period, uh, but you know the the Greeks and the Romans were really reaching their peak, and the Egyptians had peaked thousands of years before that. They'd accomplished stuff thousands of years before that that the Greeks and the Romans never never managed. They were way way ahead of their time, um, but yeah, they didn't they didn't sustain it. But it's it's really curious um, because you look at when I was under the Step Pyramid with. Yusuf were looking at all the different types of stone that they used in the construction at that place and in the you know, construction of all those bowls and things that were, were down there. And you know, Yusuf pointed out that what this shows is that they had, prior to the Third Dynasty, 
they had a complex quarry system because a lot of those stones don't come naturally from Egypt. Some of them are in Sudan, some of them in Nubia. Some of that stuff's coming from Afghanistan. Uh, the megalithic stuff. structures in Egypt you're talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and so even before the Third Dynasty, Egypt had something they don't have today where they had uh, like a system of quarries in all kinds of places where they were regularly bringing in large amounts of stone from like before the third dynasty like it doesn't they weren't they're not even supposed to be able to quarry that stuff they don't have the tools to quarry that stuff until you know the new kingdom time it's crazy so luke i mean we have it we just have everything wrong you know for that period do you have anything interesting i know you've been to egypt a few times have you heard any stories? And I don't. I know you don't really. I know you're not very big into the idea, but the whole aliens, right? If, if, we, if they didn't do it, we don't know who did it. The mainstream history doesn't say anything about it. Have you heard any stories about there being like UFOs or anything around the area of Egypt? Um, actually, no. I mean, there's there's the, you know, the the standard aliens built this theory that just kind of exists because we don't actually know how the mm-hmm. built but i like um, to think so right <laughs> but i i i don't necessarily buy into the alien story there because i i i think it's much more likely that the aliens may have seeded knowledge but i don't think they actually did the stuff for us at least not in egypt and i just see a lot of um there are some even the inexplicable tool marks seem uh just like a you know, a human tool that we just aren't supposed to have or, or nobody's quite sure what it was. But I, I don't see any, like, you know, somebody came down here in these crafts with no angles and, you know, everything is perfect and look at this, it's no mistake. You know what I mean? There's this mistakes in everything that I, I'm not sure that, that the aliens would have made. I'm much more likely to entertain the idea of aliens uh, in South America just because... Um, the the native peoples there still, uh, you know, talk about the Sky Brothers, and uh, it's in their it's in their histories all the way back, and they so what we'll are supposedly do, Luke, still in, in in contact with them. There it is, another episode with Luke Williamson. Make sure to check out his work on YouTube, Enigmas of the Ancient World, also on Instagram. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at the Juana Juan Podcast. Shoot me an email if you want to be on the show. The Juana Juan Podcast at gmail.com. Our website, the Juana Juan Podcast.com. I have a blog on there. Check that out. Make sure to leave us a five-star review, hopefully. Shoot me an email with your thoughts on everything. What do you think of the show? What do you think of the guest? What do you think of the topics? I'm always open to, to criticism, any criticism. Good, bad, whatever it may be. Hopefully good. But, again, thank you for the support. Really appreciate your time. And until next time.
What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.